This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals only. Welcome to the Diabetes Knowledge and Practice Podcast, your bi-weekly source of news, views, and updates in diabetes care. Today's episode is supported by an educational grant from Novo Nordisk AS, who has had no influence on the content or choice of faculty. As always, I'm James Bannister. And I'm Emma Phillips. Today, we're looking at patient empowerment and how to better involve people with diabetes in treatment decisions and glycemic management. This episode aims to provide advice on how to turn someone from a patient into an active partner in care. We'll be discussing how we can motivate patients to take their diagnosis seriously, and once they do, how best to support them in achieving their goals. Joining us later in the episode is patient advocate Ken Tate, who offers advice on this topic based on his personal experience as a person with diabetes and as an advocate for others. As always, please do feel free to skip ahead to the expert interview if you're already familiar with this therapy area. For further reading, you can also find the links in the episode notes to all the publications and guidelines we mentioned in today's episode. Patient-centred care is the cornerstone of the EASD ADA 2018 position statement, with all guidance centred on two goals, preventing complications and optimising quality of life. In order to achieve these goals, the guidelines recommend that careful consideration of patient factors should inform the process of individualising treatment goals and strategies, and patient engagement in self-care activities should be enhanced. 2019 ESC guidelines are in complete agreement, advocating that a patient-centred approach will help strengthen a patient's ability to self-manage their condition, and should be the basis of interactions between healthcare professionals and people with diabetes. So what does a patient-centred approach look like in practice? The 2018 ASD-ADA Joint Position Statement opens with a figure depicting this very decision cycle, comprised of seven steps. Firstly, they advise to assess key patient characteristics, including lifestyle, comorbidities, clinical characteristics and personal circumstances, including age, weight and social economic background. Once you have a clear picture of your patient, step two is to consider these factors, and how these should influence treatment decisions. Step three is to share these options with the patient and work together to create a personalized management plan. For this step, it is important that the patient and their family or caregiver are suitably informed and that the patient's preferences are considered and they feel empowered. Step four sees the agreement of SMART goals to ensure both the patient and healthcare professional are able to measure progress and evaluate the effectiveness of the treatment plan. SMART stands for Specific, Measurable, Achievable, Realistic, and Time-Limited. Step 5 is the implementation of the management plan itself, with Step 6 consisting of ongoing monitoring and support. Finally, Step 7 involves a review and update of the management plan as appropriate, where the cycle may begin again depending on the fulfillment of SMART goals and changes in personal circumstance. Focusing on steps three and four in more detail, what are some practical ways to provide education and set goals with your patients? Kuhneman, Breslin and Mullen have all authored papers demonstrating that decision aids, specifically aids which show the absolute benefit and risk of alternative treatment options, are a useful strategy to facilitate shared decision making and arrive at the best treatment course for an individual. A consensus recommendation from the ADA ESD guidelines is that all people with type 2 diabetes should be offered access to ongoing diabetes self-management education and support programs, or DESMES for short. 
Desmos programmes usually involve face-to-face contact in group or individual sessions with trained educators. And the overall objective of Desmos is to support patient empowerment by providing people with diabetes the tools to make informed self-management decisions. While Desmos should be available on an ongoing basis, critical junctures when Desmos should occur include at diagnosis, annually, when complications arise and during transitions in life and care. So what does the evidence say about Desmos? Deacon et al.'s systematic review found that group-based, structured education programmes resulted in clinically relevant improvements in glycemic control, knowledge of diabetes, triglyceride levels, blood pressure, medication reduction, and self-management for 12 to 14 months. This extended up to four years when these programmes were provided annually. Stein's Becketal's study had very similar results, also showing that patients were more empowered and saw a decrease in body weight across study groups. When looking more in-depth at the format for education, ADA guidelines referenced several studies that found evidence that supported better outcomes associated with educational interventions that were any of the following. Over 10 hours in duration, included ongoing support, were tailored to individual needs and preferences, and addressed psychosocial issues. Perhaps the most compelling evidence for structured educational programs are studies by Duncan et al., which found that patients who participate in Desmos are more likely to follow best practice treatment recommendations. Once educated, the person with diabetes will be more informed and thus empowered to contribute towards goal setting and hopefully more motivated to achieve these once set. Ultimately, patient preference is a major factor driving the choice of medication. La Salvia et al.'s systematic review found that patients may ignore clinical recommendations, even when supported by trial evidence, if they're unhappy with the route of administration, injection device or side effects. Everything done to help manage type 2 diabetes should be done with the patient in mind. However, do we truly know what our patients want? Just as people have different definitions for quality of life, so too do people with diabetes. Whereas some may want to strive for complete remission of diabetes, others may prefer to achieve normal glycemic management without disruptions to their ability to go about life as normal. Through shared decision-making advocated by the guidelines, treatment can be centred on achieving goals and preferences set by the patient themselves and increase the chance of adherence. While studies have clearly shown the benefit of a patient-centred approach, there is still evidence needed to provide direction on the best strategies in practice. Today, we're joined by Mr. Ken Tate, patient advocate and chair of the Bromley Diabetes UK group, for his first-hand experience of treatment and recommendations from those in his community. Thank you for joining us today, Mr. Tate. So our first question, the recent guideline update suggests that patients and healthcare professionals should set targets together, including an initial discussion around starting with dual therapy in the newly diagnosed. What is your opinion on this? In your experience to date, have your goals always aligned with your doctor's goals? And do you think this would work for all patients? An interesting question. Where I am now, they've actually started this goal targeting. I find that it's fine if you're talking about medication. However, what I think we need to do is find out more about the patient themselves and their lifestyles. because. If you just talk about, oh, you should take X insulin and Y uh, uh, pills or whatever, then you're not really asking what the patient does for a living. And their way that they live and everything else, whether they're going through stress problems or whatever. So I think 
goals and things that uh, has to be more broader than just the technical bit. Uh, does that make sense? I hope to people. Um, and then I think it would work for all of the pa all patients rather than just saying, well, your HbA1c is eight. You need to get it down. Uh, let's see what we can do. You know, what what is that going to be? Is it going down to seven or seven point three or six or six point five? So, and then discuss how you're actually going to get there or how you'd like to get there, because not everybody can get there. And I think that is what is required in, this, in my uh, way of doing it or thinking of it anyway. And I personally uh, have various goals that I'd like to try and achieve, but for various reasons recently, I, I, I don't think I will, I will be able to do that. And I hope all this makes sense to people that, you know, it does, we, we, we need to be much more uh, patient focused on what they do for the whole rather than just on the diabetes. Thank you very much. You mentioned that goals need to be broader. Do you have any specific guidance on what that should entail? How these goals to be broader is by maybe working with people. Um, and what support do you need? If, it, if it, people are turning around, or shall we say the healthcare professionals are turning around and saying, oh, you need to lose weight, what support is there? Do we need support, whether that's peer-to-peer -peer support or whether it is healthcare to, uh, patient support. It doesn't matter because not everybody will be able to do it on their own. The, so that area, I think, is where we need to concentrate on what type of support can we offer people. Throughout your journey, have you been offered education on diabetes self-management? If so, how effective was this, and did it help you at all? I, I haven't uh, as such had educational. Uh, I haven't gone through the Desmond or the Daphne uh, courses, um, mainly because when I was diagnosed, they weren't around. That's, that's quite as simple as that. Uh, what I have was taught was how to inject myself uh, because I was on insulin, so I, I did do a... a two or three hour uh, session on how to inject. And that was all I ever got. I did get um, my a dietitian who would tell me how to, what I was supposed to eat. And that unfortunately is uh, changed from about 20 odd years ago when I was first diagnosed. So it hasn't really moved forward for me. What I have found with people with, uh, that have gone on the Desmond course or the Daphnis course, especially the Desmond course, because I'm more type 2, is that it is very um, contained and you're not allowed, to, they, they can't answer questions uh, because they don't know. And the, once you've done the, the one day or, uh, of it, you're then left alone. So again, it all comes down to what support is available because people have questions after you go away because they don't know what to, what to expect. And I think that is where 
we fall down mostly is, is on the support level. Um, and probably one of the reasons why I, I set up a support level uh, sports group for myself was because I needed to understand what people were doing and how to do things. So because we live with this 24-7, we really need help. Not all 24-7, I agree, but uh, certainly you know, on the odd day now and again. I see. So do you have any recommendations for our listeners on any sort of support group lists or anything to really help their patients go through and receive this kind of peer support that you mentioned? I think what uh, I would like to see is, is more uh, healthcare professionals uh, engaging with uh, peer support groups. Uh, and because Peer support groups tend to be out of hours and everything else. I do appreciate that some healthcare professionals don't really have time to come to them. But to be much more aware of what is available out there, I think, helps. Not only those people that go into denial of uh, having diabetes, but helping them to uh, understand that certain things are okay and certain things are not really okay, but yeah, you can do it. But just getting people to understand that and being a two-way street of helping, you know, the healthcare professionals helping diabetes to your support groups rather than just not doing anything. So finally, thinking about people who are perhaps not particularly motivated in care, in your experience, what sort of management approaches help someone to realise that they need to take their diabetes more seriously? Unfortunately, people do go into denial. Uh, more so, I think, more with people with type 2 diabetes. They don't believe that they have it. Uh, and it, they usually, it usually gets to a point where they get very ill and then they actually realise that they need some help. It's... Support from the family members, help getting them and friends probably or even work colleagues to help them understand that they do need to know how to do uh, on a daily basis, deal with their um, diabetes. And maybe even uh, finding out, as I keep going on about peer support groups, uh, finding out what's around and, and just so that people can go to them and just uh, ask questions. It's It can be quite frightening to suddenly find out that you have this uh, disease. And the, the stress and the, the anxiety and all the depressions and things that are going with it and mental emotional problems can actually not help you in your daily life with diabetes. So <clears throat> I think by helping to find out who the friends are, the co-workers, the work, wherever they are, to help them uh, understand that they really do need to understand how to engage with uh, their diabetes and things. This brings us to the end of today's time. To summarize, all guidelines advocate that shared decision-making should be the basis of constructing a treatment plan, 
with the EASD-ADA Joint Position Statement, recommending motivational interviewing, goal-setting, and education to empower people with diabetes to become more actively involved in making treatment decisions. If you'd like to hear more from us on the latest developments in diabetes, you can subscribe to the podcast across all major apps. You can also stream individual episodes from our website, knowledgeinpractice.eu, where you can also access all our free accredited CME content. If you found this episode useful, please leave us a review or tweet us at DKI Practice. Join us again in another two weeks for a discussion of injectable therapies and how to discuss these with your patients. Thank you so much for joining us and we look forward to seeing you again soon.